0: Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you. If we don't know one another, my name is uh, Ashley Matthews, one of the pastors here at Trinity. Um, Really thankful to be with all of you. These um, next few weeks for us are um, here at Trinity preparation for Alpha. We um, have been talking about that. Uh, the last couple of months or so, you may have heard us men- mention that uh, on February 17th is the kickoff for Alpha here. And so, for these next few Sundays, as we uh, gear up for Alpha, you're going to hear us every Sunday talking a little bit about it, about what it is and why we do it, so that we're all on the same page. This is not something that like five of us make happen and, you know, then that's an event that everybody else shows up to. But Alpha is something that we do together as a community and invite other people into. So, it's important that you all know what Alpha is about so we can do it together. Uh, so, I want to tell you a little bit about it before we move into spending some time together in the Bible, which we're going to do. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Luke's gospel if you want to be flipping there. But while you're flipping, um, I will um, tell you a few things about uh, this thing called Alpha, which we started doing here at Trinity a few years ago. We had done it a long, long time ago and then stopped doing it for several years. And then for the last um, few, we have been. We've not done it for two years, though, now because um, of COVID. So this is a kind of relaunch um, for us. Alpha is this, just like really simply. Alpha is a gathering for people who are curious about God and who want a really safe and like not pressured place where they can come and talk about questions they have about faith and talk about their experiences of God or the things that they have heard about God or curious about with other people who are also wanting to have those conversations In my experience, people are, generally speaking, pretty open to talking about God. I actually don't think we live in a cultural moment where people have an allergy to talking about God. My experience has been people are pretty down to do that. Um, On the whole, pretty, you know, spiritual or at least like open, you know, to that. Um, It's church and Christian culture that most people have a really hard time with. Um, And that makes, you know, a lot of sense. So Alpha exists to be a place that's kind of like um, outside of the church, meaning not on a Sunday. We are quite literally hosting it uh, in a church this time. We have in years past been at Monday night at the garage um, at a brewery where it was kind of literally a neutral space. So it wasn't the church at all. So the people could like show up somewhere and know that if they wanted to talk about God and they had questions or they were curious that they could just like not feel pressured to opt into something um, they wouldn't have to worry about offending somebody. They could just talk to other people who had the same questions they did. And so that's what we do for six weeks. We create that kind of space really intentionally and on purpose. Um, here's my, like, commitment to you. Um, our, our aim is to be very, very honest for six weeks. No pretending. We had a, um, a meeting the other night with some folks that are helping us do Alpha. And I said... Like, there's one rule, and the rule is that you cannot pretend. Um, Alpha is not like a ruse or um, a trick. Nobody is trying to trick somebody into believing something or being something or talk you into, convince you, or pressure you. Um, if we wanted to make a commercial for Jesus or market him, frankly, we would have just make it get cooler than this. <laughs> um, Alpha is not gonna sell you on Jesus. Or market it to you. Here's what is real, is that if you show up to Alpha, somebody's going to stand up and talk to you about what they believe about who God is. That does happen. Um, Because again, the commitment is to be honest. And so there are going to be people in the room who do believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But don't feel defensive about that also. And probably also very likely have their own doubts and struggles and frustrations with God and with the church. And so if you or somebody you know is like, also up for showing up to a space where you can be honest about what you believe or don't believe, frustrations you have, experiences you've had, then I would encourage you to come or at least talk to somebody who's been. Shoot me an email. Let me answer some questions. If you're curious about actually like looking at it, you can go to the website. If you know you want to come, you can register on the website. All the information um, that you need is there. It's basically three things that happen. You show up, you eat food with other people and, and drink beer here. And we, so we eat and drink together. We hang out for about 45 minutes or so. And then there's the talk. Somebody gets up and says, here's what I think about Jesus, who God is. And then you have a chance for 45 minutes to turn to the other people in your group and be like, what do you think? And then you just listen to each other. And the goal is to make friends with other people who are going through something like what you're going through. So that sounds like something that you're interested in. There are three ways to get involved. One is you come And you can come and just, like, check it out. No strings attached. You just can show up and see if it's weird (laughs) or not, or if you like it or not, or whatever. And nobody is going to send you weird follow-up emails or, you know, cards in the mail. You just can show up and then never come back if you don't want to. That's totally fine. A lot of people will do that. That's okay. I do want to say this, though. If Trinity is your home, and you're like a Christian, and you, I mean, everybody's got their struggles, their doubts, but, like, you know, things are in a pretty settled place with you and Jesus. This is not the alpha for you to jump in just to check it out because we have limited space available. There are only about 100 slots, and we're trying to create space for people who are really wrestling um, with, you know, questions if you want if you that's you though and this is your home and you're here most every week but you're curious about alpha here's what we want you to do come pray with us we would love for you to show up and be here to pray Um, we have people who are here every week um, praying and you can either do that every week or you can just come on a night on a thursday night when it works for you and come and pray so those are the three ways you either come you invite somebody to come and i really do want to just like kind of put that out there this may not be for you at all or where you're at, but I for sure, I promise you, it would be a good time and a good space for somebody you know. So we're going to commit to spending these next few weeks just, like, asking God who that might be. Like, do I know somebody who should be there? And then would I be willing to, like, ask them to come? So you come, you invite somebody, or you pray. That's what it'll look like for, um, for you to be involved with us for these next few weeks. Um... Millions of people have had their lives changed by this experience. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't do it. Um, Literally millions of people all over the world have shown up for this very simple thing and have had a kind of supernatural encounter with God that has changed their lives. So our commitment to you is that there will be no pretending, no hype. I cannot conjure up God for you. We can't. But he just might show up and do something in your life or through somebody who you meet and who doesn't want that we all do for one reason or another so just think about it that's the ask check it out look into it and if you have any questions you can email me all right speaking of God showing up and doing things we don't expect Let's look at Luke 4. If you have a Bible. We read from this story last week. We're going to finish it out, the second half of it today. Uh, We'll read and then um, see what God wants to say to us. Start in verse 21. Then he, Jesus, began to say to them, Today... This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for your word. And your promise to be here with us. Thank you, God, for inviting us into places that are holy and good. And above all, Jesus, for the gift of your spirit here with us. To comfort us and give peace. Also, Lord, Lord to show us things that we need to see. And so we ask you, God, now just be here with us. Where we are in need of comfort, Lord, will you be a comfort to us, where we are in need, Lord, of courage to let go or open up or see things differently. God, will you help us, please? Help us see Jesus. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen. Amen. So... We talked a little bit, again, about this story last week, um, but just a bit of a recap. So in case you weren't here and you maybe haven't heard this story before, here's what's happened. A Jesus who's just kind of like getting started has gone uh, back to his hometown, a town called Nazareth. And it's the Sabbath, and he has been asked to stand up and read out of like their Bible, the scroll, um, to read a passage, kind of preach. It's his uh, Sunday to do that. And so he does. He reads from uh, the prophet Isaiah, the passage that we read last week. We didn't read this week, a really powerful few verses, Jesus' first sermon, actually, in the whole Bible. Jesus stands up and he um, preaches Isaiah's sermon from, like, centuries before. He says, the Spirit has anointed me because he has called me to preach good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus says this really powerful passage of scripture. And then he says, today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. And he has a kind of mic drop moment, and he sits down. There were no mics, but I like to think that if there had been, maybe you would have dropped one. And sits down. And apparently, um, it was a powerful moment. Uh, the thing that I notice about this story, so we pick up right after this, what we read today is everything that hap- happens after that. Um, what strikes me every time I read this is that the same group of people have two very different reactions to the words of Jesus. They like turn on a dime, a complete 180 in just a matter of moments. Because when Jesus says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, Luke goes on to tell us that people were amazed. At what they heard from Jesus. Something about the experience was profound. It was powerful. Uh, We've talked before here at Trinity about like thin places. When the energy in the room sort of shifts or changes. And it's like it catches your attention. God's doing something in a way. That you can't quite explain or put your finger on. But it feels different. Like maybe God is there. I think people were having that experience. Luke tells us they were amazed at the gracious words that they heard Jesus saying. In other words, his words felt like a charis, like a gift, a grace from God, which is arguably how it should feel when people preach. Yes? Probably like a gift, a grace being given. So people had that experience of Jesus. And what's fascinating to me is that rather than just sort of like basking in the applause, you know, or the love, Jesus senses something is off or not quite right. And you have to remember he's in the synagogue and with people he knows very well and with religious people. So he has a sense that something's not quite right. People aren't quite totally hearing what he's saying. And so the prophet in him cannot help but like poke at the thing a little bit, you know, lean into it as opposed to back away from it. So that's what he does. He goes in for the thing that feels like it might not be just quite right. He leans in on it. And he says in response, basically this, you're going to say to me, do the miracles that I did in Capernaum here. That's what you want me to do. All the wild and crazy stuff I've done out there. You want me to do here. That's what doctor heal thyself means. Like come and do for your own people. Heal your own people in the way you've healed other people. Do it here. That's what you want. Because you expect that the gospel, the good news of God, that God's favor is on you and pretty limited to you and is going to look exactly like what you want it to look like. But actually, this gospel, this good news is not just for you, and it won't look just like you want it to, and actually it's going to extend out way farther than you have an imagination for, all the way to like the widow in Sidon and Naaman, the Syrian, people like that on the outside of where you are right now. That's what Jesus says to them. In other words, the good news is better than you think that it is, but it's not what you want it to be exactly. And boy, does he strike a nerve because they have quite a different reaction this time to the words of Jesus. Almost a complete 180, Luke tells us that they were filled with rage, that they drove him out of the synagogue and then out of town and tried to quite literally drive him off the edge of the earth, off of a cliff, to get rid of him. Why? That is a strong reaction. And if you're reading this story, you're meant to ask yourself, what on earth happened? Like, what is the nerve, really, that Jesus hit? One scholar that I read um, said it this way, and I thought this was a helpful summation. He says, in short, the people of Nazareth heard Jesus' declaration of fulfillment as a promise of special favor for his own people and his hometown, a guarantee of God's blessing on them. But Jesus affirmed a fulfillment that was not limited to Israel only. God would bless all the poor, all the captives. In other words, the people of Nazareth were very open to a very narrow view and version of Jesus. They were very open to a good news that sounded and felt good in the ways that they wanted it to be good. That affirmed the life they already wanted for themselves. And were intent on pursuing. So it's like, I already know what I want. And they heard Jesus saying, good news, God's going to give that to you. And what Jesus heard and felt was like, oh. Just got to make sure we're on the same page, something feels off, because the truth is this news is good. It's very, very good, but it's so much better probably than I think you're hearing. It's bigger than the vision that you have, the vision you have of your life and of God arguably may be too small. And so when the gospel comes in, it expands that vision of you, your life, and of God. Can we call that good? That was Jesus' question. Oh, because when Jesus comes, when the Spirit comes, he's always gonna give us a new vision of our own life, of God. That's who Jesus is. When we make things really small, he's gonna come in and make them bigger. We make love too small or God too small or community too small or church too small. Jesus, like, goes in there and he pushes things out. That's who he is, So the Holy Spirit is. And this is fascinating because the passage that Jesus reads from that day in Nazareth, he didn't choose, but I think there was a kind of providence about it because it was a timely word. That passage of Scripture was a sermon from Isaiah the prophet who preached centuries before Jesus but in a really interesting time. It was in the years right after the exile, a few years after the exile. So God's people had been taken into exile in Babylon. We remember that this happened. It was a big deal in the Old Testament, a big deal. All God's people go into exile for 70 years in Babylon. Jerusalem gets destroyed. It's wiped out. Awful, awful thing. And then Isaiah the prophet gets to come and say, good news, we get to go home. And they do. They go home, back to the land of Judah. But when they get there it's trashed. And it looks like trash. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh, I forgot. They knocked it all down. And so they spent years rebuilding, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the wall, trying to make things like they were before. But it just didn't quite feel right. They just couldn't get it back the way that it was before. Something just wasn't what they had hoped for, what they wanted, what they expected, and they felt sad. And I was thinking about that, um, and uh, on Friday night was listening to a comedian do a special on Netflix. And he was doing this bit about the pandemic, and he said, you know, yay, we're able to do stuff like this again. You know, that's great. You know, good news. People are able to go back to their favorite restaurants, you know, go do the things that we were doing before, but isn't it true that everything's just a little bit crappier than it used to be? (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, we're all doing this stuff we used to do, but this is not quite the same, is it? You know, let's, let's be real about that. And he was doing this bit, and I thought, yeah, I mean, kind of, that's exactly kind of how we feel, we're in this moment of like, man, I don't know, can you even go back to the way things were before? Where are we headed? What will God do? And in that way, I'm reminded of Second Temple Judah. Because it was at a time like that when the Holy Spirit anointed the prophet Isaiah to say, now, now is your moment. Go preach good news to this people who keep waiting for the government to make things better and keep waiting for their jobs to make things better and their friends to make things better and Dr. Fauci to make things better and the CDC to make things better. They're not going to. The good news for you is God has a life for you that is better than money and power. God has a life to give you that is better than what you've lived. He has it and he will give it to you. He is not limited by any of those things. You go preach to the poor. You go tell people who are brokenhearted that God will bind up their brokenness. You go tell people who are covered and weighed down with despair that God intends to lift off the despair and wrap them in hope. to give them beauty for their ashes, to take off a spirit of despair and give them a mantle of praise. You go preach the gospel. And that same spirit anointed Jesus... In Nazareth, to stand up and say the same. And this is what I love about the Bible. What you're meant to see and hear is when Jesus stands up and says, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing, you're not thinking about it today that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus comes off of the pages of the Bible into your moment and says to you today. The gospel has come to you today. That same God, that same good news, if you are poor and brokenhearted, if you are weighed down by depression and despair, if you want a life that this world is not giving you, then good news. I'm here. That's what Jesus is saying. And you may think to yourself, oh, who doesn't want that? Why'd they get so mad? <laughs> That sounds like a nice thing. Why were they so angry? I don't know, I wasn't there. I can tell you this though from my own experience. Like, choosing to surrender to God is scary. God coming into your life, if it's real, it can be scary. Because things don't stay the same. They can't. What does anybody need a gospel for that doesn't do anything or change anything? That's not God. When God comes, he does stuff, real stuff, and sometimes that is scary. Because here's what I know about my, the only oppression I've ever known is that chain? there are like two kinds of chains. There are the chains that I don't choose, that life puts on me, puts on all of us, abuse, trauma, depression. You didn't choose those things. Those things happened to you, got put on you. So you live with it and you're bound up by it in some way. You're not alone. But then there are also chains That I choose. They're both kinds. Things I put on myself or I won't let go of. Things like anger. Which in this particular moment, almost everyone is filled with some kind of righteous indignation. Do you know? It's like the louder and meaner and surer you can sound. The more applause you get. Anger can feel like a good thing because it protects us. Spiritual indifference can also feel like a good thing because it doesn't cost me anything. I'm always neutral. I'm Switzerland, you know, spiritually speaking. That's what people want to believe. I'm just, I don't have an opinion. I'm neutral. It doesn't cost you anything. It also doesn't give you anything either, though. So that's the thing. It just keeps us bound up and smaller than we should be. Our experience of God smaller than it should be. And so when Jesus comes, here's what I know about him. He's coming for both kinds of chains. He's going to come after the chains that you didn't choose, that got put on you. And he's going to come after the chains that you don't want to let go of. It's no freedom if it's not really free, you know? And a lot of times we want the ones that get lifted off. But some of the rest of us are carrying those other kinds like treasures. And he's going to ask for them. Just like he did in Nazareth. It's hard for us to hear with our ears that Jesus was saying anything like that to those people. Because it was a long time ago and he was talking about something we don't really understand. But in essence, he was asking them to hand over their vision of a treasure so that he could put something more real in their hands. And it felt scary to them made them angry so the question we're meant to ask ourselves is when the gospel comes close to you if Jesus could stand up close to you and say hey good news God has anointed me to tell you there's good news for the poor if you feel poor if you are poor because can I just say there are people who are really poor who need us to care that they are really actually poor So can you have a vision of love and life and God that is bigger than the one that you have? Can we believe that there's a good out there better than the good that this world has sold us on? Today, Jesus says, this gospel has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here I am. And you get to choose are you going to surrender to him, which takes a heck of a lot of courage, or you're going to shove him out, maybe just a gentle stiff arm, you don't want to hurl him off a cliff or anything, but just a Heisman, you know, a little bit like this shove him off. I think we're meant to ask ourselves that question. When it comes close to you, what do you feel? What's your instinct? Yes, surrender, or no, I'm going to shove him off. Here's my favorite part of the story, and I will say this in closing. If you want to shove him off and you think, I don't know, if that's how you feel, it's okay. That's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Because what happens in the story is when this angry mob tries to throw Jesus off of a cliff, Luke says it, just one throwaway line. He says, and he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. I don't know what that looked like or what that meant. But what it says to me is he just kept going and he'll be back. He always comes back. That's the story of Christian faith. You can hang him up on a cross and put him in the ground, and he always comes back. You can shove him off today and put him away from you, and he'll be back. Why? Because love never ends. That's the verse we read right before church today. Love never ends. It believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. For God so loved the world. Those words were true then, they're true now. He will come back for you. Some of you have, um, you guys seen Moana? This is the image that comes to mind because that's that's where I am these days. (laughs) A lot of Disney in my life. Moana, there's this scene where Maui and Moana are on that little boat. And he's trying to get rid of her. And he keeps throwing her out. Do you remember this? Into the ocean. He throws her out in the ocean. And the ocean puts her back on the little boat. You know? And he tries again. He throws her out back into the ocean. And then the ocean puts her back on the boat. You know? Some of you got a little bit of that dynamic with Jesus going on. And that's okay. He's just going to keep coming back until you decide that you want him there and that it's better when he's there. So if it's not today, that's okay. But if it is, then take a hold of him. Ask him to stay. He is the only good there is. And that good takes a lot of different forms in the world. People do a lot of really good things, but the source of all that goodness is in Jesus. Pray about it. Preach, baby. Preach. Mm. (sighs) Communion is the high point of our worship. Every week we come to the table and eat this meal that Jesus gave us to eat together. And before we come to the table and eat this meal with each other and with Jesus, we take space to just be still and pray and think. So that's what I would encourage you to do. If, this, if you have things you want to talk to God about, this is your time. Sins you want to confess. Things you want to ask for. We'll be still and pray, and then we'll come to the table. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us.